Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Thank you, ladies. Wonderful, wonderful reminder to all of us because we're all sinners. Come home. Thank you. Well done. If you have a Bible this morning, trust you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're working our way through the wonderful book. Paul would remind us there that we are called to be saints, distinctly, uniquely called to reflect His glory and His grace in a fallen world. That's the calling of the church. And so we are encouraged this in a very unique passage of Scripture we'll be looking at this morning. Fascinating, interesting Let's begin today with the word of prayer and dive into the subject matter before us in 1 Corinthians 11. Father, it is a joy to serve here in this ministry. There is much to do. Many around us still have not heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Many need to be discipled. Thank you for placing this church strategically in this place for this time, for such a time as this. And Lord, I pray that all of us would be engaged in praying, serving, going, singing, whatever our gift is that your name would be honored and glorified, that the attraction of our church would be the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And may we be those who are ambassadors for such a message. Thank you for the word today. We thank you for inspiring it for our use and edification. And may we use it principles therein to grow in grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been pulled over by an officer. Your heart begins to race. You think, I didn't think I was speeding, but you pull over obediently and he motions you as he walks up to lower your window. He's got one hand on his sidearm and he's motioning for you to lower your window and you do, of course. And he says something like, license and registration, please, ma'am. Well, your heart is racing. You don't wonder what's going on. Of course, he looks over your papers and you kind of muster up the courage to mumble. What was I doing wrong? I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Well, he's quiet for a moment, and he begins to say, Well, ma'am, you have an equipment violation issue. You start to cry. Most ladies do that, right? And say, uh, he says, What does that mean? Well, he says, You've got a taillight out. I don't know if you knew this, lady, but you've got a taillight out. And you say, Don't give me a ticket, please. I'll tell my husband to fix that as soon as I get home, please. Well, he gives you mercy, gives you perhaps a warning, and off you drive. And let me be real pointed here. What is going on in your heart, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. You've been pulled over for a a bad taillight, taillight that's out. What What are you thinking as you're pulling away? Be honest. Are you thinking, praise God for the police force. They're doing their best to keep us all safe. Or are you entertaining a little thought in the back of your mind, something like this? Man, aren't there some bad guys out there that he should be spending his time chasing a taillight? Are you kidding? Maybe you don't think that way, but perhaps there are many that do. All I have is a bad bulb. Doesn't he know the world is full of bad people? What are we paying these guys for anyway? Sometimes when we read Scripture, we think that maybe the Lord is spending too much time on matters that don't matter. And As I first read through 
uh, the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 11 and these verses, that thought struck my mind. Paul, why are you nitpicking on people's hairstyles? Goodness gracious. And by the way, just so you will all relax, even before we read the text, no usher is going to stand at the back doing a hair check today. You're, going to be, you're fine, all right? Don't panic. But we're going to talk about the... And sometimes I think about this in, this in this passage of Scripture. I think, well, Lord, you know, why, why did you even spend 16 verses? There must be... By the way, who wrote the Bible? Was it Paul? Well, yes, but it was who? The Holy Spirit. So there must be some principles in this text... And I thought about doing a hot air balloon ride over this uh, and just saying, well, just making a real quick comment. And, uh, but I thought, well, if, if God spent this much scriptural terrain on it, there must be a principle for our day that we can take home and the prophet thereby. We've already prayed, but let's read the verses and then we'll glean some points today that I think will be a blessing for all of us. Be ye followers of me. And Paul starts off on a very positive note in chapter 11, many corrective issues in the book of 1 Corinthians, but he starts off with a very positive uh, note. Be ye followers of me, even as, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that's an encouragement, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances, that you do that. He says, you're faithful to do that, as I've delivered them to you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every, every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. He's beginning to lay the terrain for what he's going to speak about. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, this honoreth his head. And this will be a change for Paul, because Paul's a Jew. In fact, the pictures we saw of Morocco today in Sunday school, some of you may have missed that, but the pictures we saw of the men, most of them had their head covered in that tradition. The Islam, tradition of Islam. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. The Jews as well would do this. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now we'll get to explaining some of these things. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn or shaven. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man, speaking of the creative order. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power or coverage on her head because of the angels. That's a hard verse to explain or understand as well. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Speaking spiritually here, we're equal in Christ. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things are of God. Thirteen, Verse 13 says, Judge in yourselves, is it comely, fitting or right, that a woman prayed unto God uncovered, unveiled? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame to him, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is a God-given gift to her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, he, he ends this with a verse we often use before business meetings, but the context is about local cultural traditions. If a man seem to be contentious about this, we have no such custom. Paul chides them, neither do the churches of God. 
All right. We're talking about a subject today that may be a, a bit uncomfortable for some, and uh, it is about really what is Paul saying in terms of head coverings in the church? We've read the verses together. What does Paul mean by that? Last week we talked about the ultimate goal, and really when you think about the book of 1 Corinthians, especially chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul is speaking about the, 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 really the giving up of our personal freedoms and pre- preferences, the exercise of those things in order that we might serve those that God has called us to minister to. We were talking in in Sunday school listening, really, to TJ, as he was talking about some cultural considerations that he's going to have to take up when he goes to another country. We did that in Brazil. And just how they eat, how they're hospitable, what they wear, there's got to be a great consideration for where the missionary ends up, and Paul is going to address that, especially in the light of freedoms in Christ. How do we exercise them? Paul would tell us that the ultimate goal and the exercise of my personal preferences is the good of my brother and the glory of the gospel. That's where we concluded last week. And today we talk about another subject, and Paul is really answering questions that came to him from the household of Chloe about things going on in the church that didn't seem right to many of the new believers. So Paul, in Ephesus, writes this letter to bring some sanity, some encouragement, some Biblical wisdom to what's happening in the culture of his day. The principles that we take away today can help us even in our day. Well, it might help us to start with a little bit of a a question to you. Does, (laughs) and I know we're having a little bit of fun on a Sunday morning, but does does it even matter, Paul? What's on our head? I think you can wear your hair a thousand ways and still be a Christian in your heart, but does, does, does it even matter? And Paul says in the culture of his day, uh, hair said so, it still does, hair still speaks, your clothing speaks, your mouth speaks, everything does, and so Paul's going to talk about the identity that comes and some of the dangers perhaps uh, about uh, what's going on culturally, let me explain a little bit. So the context, and by the way, when we preach or teach or study any portion of the Bible, it's wonderful to have a sense of what did, what did that passage mean to the ears upon which it first landed? What did it mean to that church, the first Baptist church, the first Christian church in Corinth? Why was this even a deal, how you wore your hair? Well, there is a cultural consideration. It stems really from the location of Corinth and the trade and the traffic through there. You see Corinth listed on the map behind me. I think it's there, yes. And there's a little, uh, there's a little canal. In fact, if you were to visit this part of the world today, it's been, of course, uh, really enlarged a little bit and ships will go through there. But in Paul's day, that canal didn't go from edge to edge, those two seas or those two gulfs. What they did is they really narrowed out a a, a road upon which they put slides or skids under boats in order to save the big journey, the long journey. Uh, Here's a map all the way from here to here. They just came through this canal and uh, and the, the sailors would take their ships, which were much smaller in the day, of course, the wooden ships, and they would slide them or skid them across that ground, I think there's a picture here, still remains of this little 
uh, road uh, where they would take and take their ships, and it took quite a while to get from one edge of the isthmus to the other. And so sailors, it was a big uh, market there um, uh, for sailors coming in and stopping for a while while their ship made it through. And often it's been said where there are sailors, there's often uh, ladies of the street, harlots and prostitutes there to, to, to kind of uh, exercise their trade as well. So the passage uh, in, our, in, in the Bible today, as you look at it, is, is, has a lot of contextual uh, uh, meaning because Corinth was known for a place where sailors gather. And maybe if you were in the, uh, in the Navy, you know that often the stops where leaves were, or excuse me, the stops where the, there would be leave, time of leave, a, a vacation, a little bit of time to exercise a, a little bit of relief from your duties, often that would be, the, those ports would often be a place where many of those who were of ill repute, ladies of ill repute, would come and, and try to solicit these sailors. Well, that was going on in big time in Corinth, and Paul knew that. And there was a identifying uh, really mark, and I didn't know this till I studied this passage, there was an identifying mark. Not only were these gals underdressed, but they had, many of them shorn their hair as an identifier to their trade as prostitutes. And so the short hair had an identifying, especially in the culture of Corinth, had an identifying connection to that particular trade, an immoral lifestyle. Of course, back in chapter 8 of of, of, of this wonderful book of 1 Corinthians, verse 9, says, Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. That's the message in chapters 8, 9, and 10. But what was happening is they're learning, these new believers, even the ladies of the church, are learning that in Christ there is no bond or free, there's no male or female, we're all one in Christ. We have similar liberties spiritually, but they were exercising their liberties in that culture in terms of their lifestyle, especially how they express themselves in fashion. And I want you to know something, this particular passage, and let me back up here, uh, let me go one more here. Uh, maybe I missed it. I'm, I'm going backwards today. Uh, uh, maybe, I didn't, maybe I didn't put the slide in there. That's a possibility. But this passage isn't so much about what's on your head, but what's in your heart. It's not so much about what's uh, fashion as it is about following Christ. And that's why Paul starts the passage with this wonderful reminder, I want you to follow, follow Christ as I do. And what is he saying? Based on where we've been in our study, he is saying, I want you to know something. I want you to know that I have given up so many things for the cause of Christ. As your pastor, I've given up pay for the ministry. I've given up eating food offered to idols, although it's some of the best food in the marketplace, and it doesn't really destroy my walk with the Lord. But when I'm in your company, there in Corinth, where that's a big, idolatry is such a big deal, I've given it up. Why did he say that? In order that we might win the more. He will go on now to address an issue that Chloe's written him about concerning some ladies that were enjoying some new fashions. They were coming to church and smiling about it. You know, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And so the practice there, uh, that they were, their lifestyle was beginning to blur the image a little bit. 
And there was a suggestiveness about some of the things that 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 culture was so committed to. And so Paul uh, writes these verses, these first 16 verses, to kind of correct what was going on. And he's saying to them, be an imitator, a follower of me. Parents, deacons, Sunday school teachers, you've all heard it, that your practice speaks louder than whatever is your teaching on the page. And it's so true. And Paul starts with that. I'm not gonna, he says, I'm going to talk about perhaps something that may be considered nitpicky to some of you. But he says, I'm going to talk about it. But I want you to know that I've given up so much for the cause of Christ. So servants, if you talk about serving, serve. We uh, encouraged one another this past weekend to do that as pa- your pastors. If, you've, uh, if, you, if you believe a thing, act like it. If, and that's sealed the truth of his words. If you love God, prove it. If you love church, what? Be here. Put a smile on your face. If you love the Bible, what? Read it. You say, I, I love the Bible. Oh, I love that thing from kiver to kiver. From Job to Malachi, I love that Bible. Well, do you really read it? How much have you read it this week? If you love people, show me your disciple, Right? If you believe in prayer, pray. Be followers, uh, be followers of me, even as I am of Christ. And Paul's body was a scarred-up testimony of his commitment to God. His whole life was given to giving up his rights in order to serve the rights of others or the needs of others. You have fully known, he told Timothy before he died, Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine and my what? My manner of life. Parents, the greatest tool in your toolbox with your children is this. Can you look them in the eye today and say, you have fully known my doctrine and my manner of life. They believe your manner of life speaks more loudly than your doctrine. Well, he turns the attention in the ensuing verses to a question about the trend in the church in his day of unveiled women, so to speak, or uncovered women coming to church without head coverings. Well, why is that a concern at all? We don't really understand, of course, the culture of the day. But Paul bothered with this, first of all, because of the historical context. Uh, Paul's uh, knowledge of the area, he spent a couple years there, was very clear He knew the culture of the day where thousands of prostitutes would flood that area of Corinth, especially when the sailors were in town and not even uh, even when they weren't there. And and these these gals were, uh, by their identifying a lifestyle, they not only took off their head coverings, but they also cut their hair often as a mark of that. And he knew that. And these... uh, uh, to live in Corinth was to live in the most licentious, liberal, progressive city, not in a good way, uh, in the then known world. Because of its being a transit zone, uh, sailors who, uh, of course, slid their ships across this little, uh, this little road would spend time there. And often you would see, of course, where the sailors were, the prostitutes gathered. You didn't have to guess about who the gals were uh, that were involved in this trade. They wore less clothing, immodest. Uh, in their attire, and they cut their hair very short or shaved it off entirely, and they went about in defiance of the cultural norms, uh, which, which in those days featured ladies 
uh, out of respect and reverence uh, to their place, would not only have longer hair, but they would also wear head coverings. The, the other lady, these were the respectable ladies, the others involved in the temple trade of immorality were overexposed and underinhibited. So to cut hair short in Paul's day, to identify yourself as a woman of the street. Further, to choose not to wear a head covering in Paul's day in Corinth was an invitation to solicit men. We must recognize that customs do change. That is not the overbearing, overwhelming custom culturally in Hampton today. But back when Paul was ministering to this church, it certainly was. Well, ladies were starting to come to church with short or unveiled heads, uncovered heads. And Paul addresses that. We're glad he does. He does it in a very tactful way. But he, uh, he, he, he knew that to come to church... It wasn't just an expression of your freedom in Christ. It was to step on, just like everything else, eating meat offered to idols, perhaps in his, in his regard of, 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 of enjoying pay for ministry would have offended some people in that little church, in that place. And so he said no to himself. It also meant, if you, as ladies, if you would come to church in Corinth with your, without a shawl on or short hair, it meant that you were not only perhaps identified with the uh, sex trade, you were also an insubordinate. That was the predominant association with that fashion. And Paul was just, he was raising an eyebrow in Scripture about this and saying, ladies, be very careful because everything about us sends a message. And so he's writing to that. And you say, pastor, that's a lot to take from a hairdo. That's because we live today. 2,000 years hence. This is first century church, and this is Corinth, where the, the trade of that city largely, the employ, was an immoral and ungodly uh, trade. That was first century. And, I, uh, and, and we're seeing there, this is the attachment. Not only is it immoral in its look, but there's the attachment then. Well, it also says, I'm no longer under authority because to wear a shawl, Paul will talk about this in the first few verses, uh, meant that I have a reverence and respect for my uh, modest place uh, in society in that time, in that day. And there were many coming to church, the ladies were coming, saying, at least we're free now, bless God, so you can hear the shawls hitting the ground, right? Or they're falling, right? We're free in Christ, glory. Well, Paul is going to remind them to exercise some caution. It said, number one, if I came unshawled to church without a head covering, I'm a loose woman, not only am I a bit of a rebel uh, to place myself outside of the traditional roles, I'm okay with acting like a man. I'm okay with that. If, if you went to the, this church in Corinth and you did that, didn't come to church with your head covered, uh, it meant that not only were you uh, kind of changing or blurring your identity a little bit, and uh, in, sense, in the sense of you were looking like that culture that was not a good culture, but it also meant that you are usurping your authority over men. That's what it meant in that time. Did you know that gender blending uh, didn't begin with Corinth? It went back far as the garden. In fact, in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 16, when uh, the Lord met Eve after he found them hiding in the garden, he said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. And that meant that 
Not that she, she would desire to be subordinate to him, but your desire, and this is speaking to all women who were born after Eve, and that's all women, right? Is going to say that, listen, the Lord knew that there's from this point on, sin has corrupted our hearts in a point where we don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to defer anymore to the roles God has intended. And he will explain those roles to us in the first part of 1 Corinthians 11. And so we see that there's this inside of all of us, male, female, this desire to not be or not be placed under God's authority. And so he starts by saying, listen, we need to understand that authority is placed by God. I, I want to do a little, uh, we'll see later in the text. Let me just do a quick little um, side trail here, if I could. A lot of times, and this gender blending thing, by the way, um, what, what God is saying, and the worst thing in the world is for a man to act womanly and a woman to act manly. This, this, this blending of, and we see it today, don't we, in our culture. The worst thing in the world is for us not to be what God intended us to be. And we are living in a culture saturated with that idea. Uh, and we'll hear this sometimes. Well, Jesus had long hair. Well, let me just share with you, um, and often you'll pull up a picture of Christ, an artist's rendition of Christ. There's no, photograph, no photographs of Jesus. And you'll see this long hair. You'll see this little halo and kind of almost a soft, effeminate-looking guy. Uh, and I don't know where that came from. Now, certainly he didn't have a crew cut. He didn't look any different than the men of his day. He didn't. In fact, when he was arrested... <laughs> Think of when he was arrested in the garden, Judah said, what? I'm to, to, the, to the praetorian, it was the guard, she's not the praetorian, but the, the guard there. Uh, he said, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, he's the one whom I'm going to go up and kiss. So you know who he is. He didn't stand out because, or like Samson or some Nazarite, he had long uh, hair to identify him. He looked just like the other men. And so we could say from a historical context that although some men, some Jewish men, had perhaps collar length or shoulder length hair, most of them uh, look more like uh, the statues of the Greek men, statues of the Greek men who had kind of a, a shorter style of hair. Uh, typically. Now, the reason you might want to think why why did uh, uh, why did men not have shorter hair? Uh, I, I did some study on the scissors for this message, and I guess scissors were only invented a few years before Christ, and they were very crude <laughs> by the time Christ. So there's no such thing as great clips for men to go. I mean, you know, there weren't even good clips around. So barbers weren't a big deal in those days. Men kind of had to cut their own hair. But so we know that, that Jesus didn't have long hair because of verse 14. He wrote this book. Didn't he write this book? We go, yes, he did. Chapter 11, verse 4. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have a long hair, it's a shame to him. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. It is not wise for a man to lose his role and identity as a man. There are to be distinctions between men and women, starting with not only our roles in life, our place that God gives to us, order of creation, the man ought to be the leader in a home, leader in society. And so it's the fabric upon which God instituted creation. But also there has to be a sense in which we look <laughs> like, like, like men. 
And uh, ladies ought to look feminine like ladies. The word in chapter 11, verse 15, but if a woman have long hair, it's kome. Um, it's, uh, in the Greek, it can both mean long hair or neat and attractive hairstyle, well-groomed. A lady, again, should look feminine like a lady, and a man should look like a man. Sometimes this question, did Jesus have long hair? Well, I doubt he looked effeminate. I doubt he looked like a woman. He was a man's man. He worked in a carpenter shop. He had calloused hands, picking up heavy wooden objects all day long. And he was able, when it came time, to run the men out of the, out of the tabernacle or the temple grounds that were selling things illicitly. And he was a, he had, he was a square-shouldered man that looked like a man. And men, we ought to. We ought to be leaders. And thank God for the ladies in our church. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm thankful for our feminine ladies. Wasn't it great to see them singing this morning? It's just a And somebody asked me, oh, how, how come it is that, that we, we don't see many bald women and we see a few uh, men that as we age, we begin to lose our hair? What, what is that? Why, why? I never thought about that, so I had to do a little research. Do you know that as... Because of hormones, as we age, uh, men tend to lose their hair in, in stages, whereas women are given uh, this grace from God where you don't lose your hair like that. It is a, a gift from God. It's your glory. I remember when Robin was going through um, cancer treatments. In fact, it was when we came here. We made the first journey here, and I told you this story, a couple of you, but uh, we got an hour and a half. This is our first trip to Hampton, Georgia from Indianapolis. And we got an hour and a half south of, uh, of uh, Indianapolis. And Robin was wearing a ball cap uh, because of cancer treatments. And, and she looked at me and she slapped her head like this. And she said, honey, I left my wig at home. <laughs> she was wearing a wig. A beautiful thing, beautiful wig. And I looked at her like a sensitive husband should. And I said, can't we just stop over here at the party store and get you one? <laughs> she left her glory at home. So I made, like a good husband, I made the hour and a half journey back home and picked it up and, and came back and she said, that's the wrong, no, she didn't say that. But God has given you ladies a wonderful gift of hair and able carry it throughout most of your life, and that's a wonderful thing. But we have to understand that in the passage before us, and we'll just wrap up with these thoughts, head coverings are, on women were the norm, uh, the cultural norm in, in uh, this city. In fact, we know that because the, not only because of, of historical records of that, but uh, because of this passage. We see that the Lord says to uh, uh, to the man in the church, I would you know that ahead of every man, we're start talking about submission, the head of every woman is the man. Head of Christ is God. Just as Christ was in submission to the Father, the man ought to be in submission to Christ, and the woman needs to be in submission to her husband. And so the mark of that in that day and time um, was simply that head covering. That in Corinth was the, was the norm. In fact, in many places of the world, it still is. You travel around the world, you'll see that uh, the head coverings often are used. I know that the, the Mennonite church, in which I had some dealings early in my life, uh, that was the norm. Ladies would come to church with these little head coverings on. That's beginning to be less of a thing in the Mennonite church. However, the Amish still practice this culture, as do many traditions. 
Well, the Lord tells us there is a sense in which there is a submission to God that matters. We see that. He is the, not only the creator of it all, we see that uh, in, the, in the first verses here of this passage. He's the Lord of all, the saved and the lost. He's the King of kings. He's the one who states all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Matthew 28. And there is no power on earth except uh, those that have been ordained or instituted by God, Romans 13, 1. So God vests authority and He has a way to get things done. And so His plan in the order of creation was to give man that leadership. And the ladies, of course, are to follow in, in the sense of, of marriage their own husbands. And that respect and submission to God is, is the first template upon which we understand the whole idea of the culture of the day and our own respect for the, God's authority. There was a real struggle in the Corinthian church among the ladies who have been taught that in Christ there is no Jew, no Greek, no, nor slave, nor male or female. You're one in Christ. We see that in Galatians chapter 3. And they, uh, no, they, they confuse that spiritual reality with uh, their fashion a little bit. And so Paul is setting the record straight. God, did you know that God knows best how to order our society? Uh, and although we are equal men and women in Christ, God has called men to lead. And because of God's knowledge of our need for societal order and the grace of complementary service, big words there today, but it simply means we can't, we simply cannot, men and women, listen up now, we simply cannot have the same roles. We can't. Uh, a two-headed monster is a a two-headed thing is a monster, right? God knew that. And submission is simply our way of, of, of acquiescing, def, acquiescing and deferring to God's sense of order so that things get done in a proper way. Men, be the man in your home. It's, it's up to you to lead. God made you that way. And if, if your wife is leading the home, it's probably not because... She doesn't want you to. It's because you've allowed her to lead. You've not taken the lead. So men, lead spiritually. Lead in terms of finances. Lead in, Lord, if a man doesn't provide for us, he's worse than an infidel. God has put, put upon us the shoulders and the backbone to take a stand, to lead, to fight the battles. And so God has given us that role. And ladies, you are to really come to behind your husband and really help him to be what he ought to be. You have a role to play. It's beautiful when it's done right and done well. I, I thought about this illustration this morning when I thought about this, because it really is a passage about submission more than fashion. Uh, there is a cultural consideration that Paul is very strong about in this church, and I don't think that cultural consideration is nearly as strong 2,000 years ago in terms of hair fashion. But I thought about this in terms of just submission and how it ought to work in the home. Just imagine today if you're driving home from this service and you decided as a man that really since we're all equal in Christ, let's all share the driving home equally, right? Let's all take part in this. Uh, and so you would say to your, uh, your wife, honey, <clears throat> I think we all need to just put a hand on the steering wheel. And honey, since your hand is already on it, uh, let, me talk to, <laughs> let me talk to Junior back there. And so let's all talk about where we want to go um, next. Of course, um, uh, the husband would like to go out to eat, and 
Uh, the woman would like perhaps to go home because she knows she's going to uh, got something in the oven perhaps. And, and old Junior in the back, he's thinking, well, let's go to Disney World, right? That's where I've always wanted to go. <laughs> let's go to Disney World. That'd be a great place to go. And, and the little girl has another thought about where she wants to go. And so we're all pulling on the steering wheel, right? And that's not exactly how God intended it. God intended the man to lead, obviously. If he's a wise man, he gets the in instruction and encouragement from others in his family. But God has placed order. In, so submission to God's order matters. And then respect for authority matters. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. I mentioned earlier, this is a different thing for Paul. Um, in in Paul's culture, where he came from, to go to the temple without your head being covered, little yarmulke, a kippah, it's kind of a, an unbrimmed hat that sits on your head. If you, in fact, if you were to visit Israel today and try to go pray at the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, you, you, you would not be allowed, even as a guest, you would not be allowed to go pray with your head uncovered. And so this instruction has to have a local meaning about it. Because when Paul went back to Jerusalem... It was okay to cover his head, but here he's talking to the Corinthians where that was, it was very rude for a man to express a sense of authority with a covered head. And so he's saying, man, you ought not have your head covered in church. You see this tradition even today in our, the Western world when, uh, when a prayer is made, even at a NASCAR event, all the men who don't ever attend, some of the men who never attend church, right, will pull off uh, their hats, their cowboy hats, their uh, their hats of any kind, whereas the women don't have that foible or that tendency. And, and a lot of that comes from this sort of cultural tra tradition, this training. And so he says the way a man respects authority is to take his head off. He's created by God in order of creation first. So his head is uncovered. The woman, however, in deference to her man, in deference to the respect of the culture in Corinth, will keep her head covered. It's a dishonor. Uh, in verse 5, every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. He was saying this, in fact, if you think, if you think in Corinth that you can come to church and, and not bring a head shawl with you, <clears throat> a covering, a veil of some kind, you might as well just go ahead and shave your hair off. Wow. What was he saying to them? He was saying this, that in the context of the city in which you live, in the area in which you live, ladies are going to the church at Corinth. If you're coming to church with your hair uh, uncovered, you might as well shave it off because you're sending a message to everybody in the church that you're associated in some way, not only with the immoral crowd, but with the insubordinate crowd. And he says, let's not do that. In your church, where you are in Corinth, it's not a good thing. Well, so we understand that, of course, Submission to God matters, respect for authority matters, and we see that, that a woman is to not dishonor herself and her role, her place in the culture and the day in which she lived, and she should be in, subord in, in subordination to her own husband. God's order uh, has nothing, and I wanted to say this before we wrap things up, God's order has nothing to do, and ladies, you, this is where you would say amen, God's order of authority has nothing to do with proficiency, skill, um, intelligence, ability, nothing to do with that at all. It's just God's way of ordering society in a way that it's best pleasing to Him. So 
uh, this head covering in that day, in Paul's day, was a symbol of submission. Uh, those things were used to identify themselves, not so much today in our day. So we see that it's important. Thirdly, uh, we should understand that there is a, a sense in which our response to authority really does matter. Uh, our response to authority does matter. I'm glad times have changed a little bit. And again, I hearken to that verse, verse 15. There is, a, there is some sort of play in that word. If a woman have long hair, it can be given as a, it can be a, a covering. It's been given to her for a covering. In fact, the, uh, the Greek there says it's been given to her instead of a covering. That's why in our churches today, we don't require, although I see that, uh, that many churches still hearken to this passage as requiring little head coverings for every woman that comes in the door. I don't see that as a prescription for all times and all ages. I do see it as a local consideration for this time and this age and that particular city. There was such a strong identity to short hair, such a strong identity to an uncovered head in Corinth. If you're a woman, very strong identity. Paul says, be careful about that. Be warned about that. Be sensitive about that. And don't do that because of larger context now, the offense factor. Reign in your liberty and fashion even in order that you might serve more effectively those around you. Great principle. So our realization of God's authority matter, our respect for God's authority matters, and our response to God's authority matters as well. Um, Paul will say, you are aware that men and, women, men and women share an equal standing with God, verses 11 and 12, um, and you do need each other. You're not more important than each other. You're equal in Christ, but it's important to understand there is a connection and identity to how you present yourself in clothing and fashion. And it says, verse 14, doesn't even nature teach you this? That if a man has long hair, he's lost his identity as a man. It's a shame to him. But if a woman uh, retains her identity, has long hair, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a glory to her for her hair. is a God-given gift to her for a covering. Her hair is given to her instead of a covering. That's why we don't force the idea of veils or head coverings today. Our response to God's authority uh, matters. Now, let me just say, I was going to say something about verse 10 because... It's, a, it's an interesting thought, and one that's not easy to really figure out. Verse 10 says, For this cause ought the woman to have power or cover her head because of the angels. Now, um, when I study passages of Scripture, sometimes I do like this. I scratch my head and wonder, what in the world? Do you ever do that? Well, thankfully, I've got some great commentaries in my office, and I looked this up. Most of the conservative commentaries that I have would say this. It's not that angels are, are really lusting after women. They harken back to Genesis chapter 6. Rather, it's this, that the, the angels, and this is an interesting thought. This is really interesting. It's this, that angels in heaven, uh, and I like this thought, kind of have the ability to live stream our services, if I can use that contemporary term. They're watching us. Angels are our observers and as they watch us, they are most impressed. There's a lot of things they don't understand. They don't understand totally redemption. They've not been redeemed. But they are most impressed by our, uh, our response to God's order and our deference to one another 
and our submission in terms of our God-given roles. And so uh, we can't see the angels, but the angels can see us. And as they observe our meetings, our order and our submission to God's place and order and roles, in, they are so impressed by ladies, especially your sweet spirit. Here you have more intelligence than us as men. You have more on the ball. You're more organized. There's so many things you can do in a better way than men can do. Amen. But yet you defer sweetly to the order that God has placed. And the bride of Christ herself is a reflection of this. We respect God's order and our response to authority matters. And so to those to those ladies, and I know it's been a different sermon today, but to those ladies who are coming to Corinth, who are trying on the new fashions, the world's fashions, and bringing into the church this sense of, well, it's okay, I guess, to just dress like some of the women of the street. No, Paul was saying, be careful. Don't do that. And understand, be rather respectful and respond to authority with a sweet spirit. It is this very attitude of sweet submission that is so attractive, not only to the world around you, but even to the unseen world. That's the sense of verse 10. Well, he concludes with verse 16. But if any man seems to be contentious, contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. What is Paul saying? He's saying this simply. He's saying, if you're coming or you're coming with other letters to me about, well, we are so free, we have so many privileges and new, and new uh, liberties in Christ, I think that we should uh, do and be and look the way we want to do and be. Look, bless God, we can, we're free in Christ. And he says, now be careful. If you're going to be contentious about what I've just said, about order and submission to Christ, to one another, I want you to know something. This is not a verse just for a business meeting. This is a verse for life. He's saying, ladies and men, understand your identity in Christ matters. Your gender identity matters. And so be manly, be womanly, be feminine or be masculine according to your, uh, your calling as a man or a woman. And don't be contentious or insubordinate about that. We don't have that custom in the church of God. Amen. Well, let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you again for this instruction about our hearts more than what's on our head. We're thankful, Lord, for your call and order in creation and in, and, uh, in your order of creation, your God-given assignment to us as men and women. And I pray, Lord, that we would guard that carefully, that we who are men would shoulder the responsibility of leadership in our realms of authority, in our homes and churches. Would you, Lord, give us shoulders to bear the calling you've given us? Would you give us hearts and boldness and courage to act like men, not to lord it over those who are in our, in our charge, but Lord, to sweetly submit to you. Thank you, Lord, that you submitted to the Father. You laid aside certain privileges and rights of your pre-incarnate glory and came and served man, took upon the form of a man. How, how unthinkable that was, and yet you did that for our sakes. You became poor and gave up some of heaven's riches that you might serve us. And then, Lord, I pray for the sweet and feminine and godly ladies of our church, that they would retain their identity. And, Lord, with a sweet spirit, serve 
in their role, in their capacity to the full. And thank you, Lord, for your plan for us. And may we see uh, not our hair or lack of it as a mark of our maturity, but our submission to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be characterized and marked by just that wonderful spirit of kind deference to the call of God for us. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the families you have put in this church and for that sweet uh, deference that I see in our marriages here. May that continue. We're grateful for this, this passage and thank you for the lessons in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.